sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. All right, now looking at the board, <laughs> stop dialing. It's all full now. It's going to be Mike and Liz and Joey and Ray, and Mike is up first. Good morning, Mike. Uh, I think I hit the wrong one. There we go. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Morning, I sir. Question. I was li- listening to Howard, Howard Garrett going back and forth on y'all's before your shows. Yeah. And he was talking to this lady, and he said, Growing Green has synthetics in it. It's not a full organic fertilizer. That's not true. Um, has to Grow has a couple of synthetic products in it because uh, – uh, as Stuart Frankie has told me, he would have to pay three times as much to get natural urea as compared to the other, and they're chemically identical. But uh, Growing Green does not have any synthetics in it, or it couldn't be certified organic, and it is now USDA certified organic. Okay, it kind of threw me for a loop because that's all I use. <laughs> well, uh, again, you know, Howard is Howard is extraordinarily knowledgeable, but he's not on the front line every day in the retail business the way we are. And he, quite frankly, has a whole lot of additional things that he has to keep up with. So uh, um, every now and then something's just a little off. But, no, the uh, the Growing Green uh, is fully USDA certified organic, and it is 100% natural. All right. Thank you for your time, sir. Well, good question. I appreciate you bringing it up, Mike. Thank you, sir. Bye. Okay, Liz is next. Good morning, Liz. Good morning. Hi, I just uh, was calling because a couple of weeks ago, I'm the lady that called about that brown grass that I have. Yes. And you told me to find out what kind it was, and it's uh, Bermuda. Okay. And uh, I noticed that there's a little bit of green coming in between those brown dried up grasses. So do I leave the brown stuff alone? Yeah, yeah. And the keep green watering or what? Yeah. Well, we got a good rain yesterday, but when if we go for a week without rain, do give it a good watering. And uh you don't need to do a thing now. Bermuda, we're going to start warming up more, which means that uh um you are going to get it growing a lot faster. Two weeks from now you're gonna see green almost throughout the entire area. And um, so at this point, I'm just going to tell you to fertilize. And if it doesn't rain, I'd love to think that we're going to continue to get rain once a week because, boy, that's what it's been the past two weeks. But (laughs) we'll see what we will see. It's of other nature. Sure been fickle this spring, but uh, I knew that was going to happen. I knew you'd see your Bermuda start growing out as soon as it started warming up. So it's better not to remove the dried up because I notice if I remove it, I remove some of those green things and green grass that is coming out, you know? Yeah. So no. I just, just leave it alone like you're saying. Just leave it alone. It will decompose and put some nutrients back into the soil. If you want to make it decompose faster, you can spray a little liquid molasses out there, but absolutely no reason to go to the effort of trying to rake it out. Okay. And also, um, I wanted to know what you suggest for me to plant in a walking area as you're coming into my house it's like a little border and mm-hmm. i've always planted things and i planted a uh, african daisy 
and he's dying out on me because he doesn't have that much sun. Right. So what can I plant for an area that doesn't have that much sun that will give it color? A uh, shrimp plant would be a good choice. A uh, shrimp okay. plant, yeah, it'll be evergreen nine years out of ten. Produces sort of a color coral, sort of a shrimp-colored flower. And the hummingbirds love it, and uh, it blooms like 10 months out of the year. It is happy in that kind of shade. And uh, it's not the super bright orange or bright yellow, but uh, it will be very pretty for you. I suspect mm-hmm. that um, that you could do well if you want a brighter color. Uh, there are a couple of salvias that do well in that kind of shade. One of them is called eyelash sage. Because nobody wants to say salvia blepharophylla, uh, but eyelash sage or smoothly smoothly sage. Smoothly sage. Smoothly sage. What's the first one? Uh, eyelash, just like uh, you know your eyelashes. <laughs> Uh, but oh, okay. eyelash sage and smoothleaf sage both have uh, brilliant red flowers on them, and oh, yeah. um, they'll be—they may freeze back occasionally, but they always come back out, and they are very uh-huh. happy in that uh, partial sunlight. But those would be probably my three top choices: would be the shrimp plant, the eyelash sage, and the uh, smoothleaf sage. There is mm-hmm. one other, which is called tropical sage, but it's always going to freeze down. The others are going to stay evergreen most years. So uh, uh, those okay. those would be three good choices. Okay, and where can I find those? I don't think I've seen them like at Home Depot and Lowe's, those kind of places. Uh, you need to go to a nursery, not to a hardware store. Oh, um, okay. What what part okay. of town do you live in? Uh, Babcock and uh, Disavala. Yeah, you might want to go see Rainbow Gardens out there on uh, on Bandera Road. Uh, if you ever okay. come over toward the quarry, come see us at Shades of Green. If you ever go way over on the east side, go see Phoenix Nursery. We don't deal in okay. lumber, though all of the, the nurseries I just mentioned, we're we're 100% plants and garden-related things. And uh, okay. uh, it's just, no, a lot of these plants that are the better plants but are not so common, uh, you're not going to find them at the box store. So give a real nursery a try, and I think you'll find much better success. Okay, well, thank you so much. And on those molasses that you said if I wanted to put some on the grass, uh-huh. um, is it just the molasses or do I mix it with water? If you're using liquid molasses, mix about two tablespoons of molasses per gallon of water. Or if you use one of those sprayers on your hose, put the molasses in there and just set it for two tablespoons per gallon, and um, it'll go a long way. A little bit of molasses will go a long way for you. And uh, you can mm-hmm. buy that molasses by the quarter, by the gallon, pretty cheap at a good nursery. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much, Bob. I appreciate your help. It's always a pleasure. I appreciate the call, Liz. You have a great Sunday, and I'll talk to Joey. Good morning, Joey. Good morning, Bob. Morning. Hey, I know you've given this uh, out before, but uh, I've got a bunch of cut ants. Uh-huh. Can I put a fungicide down on that, or how do I kill them? And that is a great question. Different things work for different people. Uh, Cut ants, they're a nuisance for us. You get over in East Texas, they are very damaging to the lumber and paper industries. So there's a lot of research been done, and no one answer, no one thing works for everyone. I, where I've needed to control them, I've put that wettable sulfur over the top of the mound, and that has killed them out. I've had a couple of people told me that they just saturated the mound with spinosad, and that killed them out. Had uh, one person that told me they uh, 
poured with a watering can. They poured the beneficial nematodes pretty much over the top of the mound, and that killed them out. So um, my my first choice has been the sulfur, and it worked for me, but it doesn't work for everybody. So those would be, I think, the three most viable options. Um, and, you know, it's what you're doing, of course, is you're, uh, you're trying to deal with the ants. They have that big old underground chamber, which is where they take the leaves and store them. And what they feed on is actually the fungus that grows on the leaves. Now, if they are attacking plants that have just one or two trunks, like crepe myrtles or your trees or things like that, you can always wrap the trunk either with uh, plastic wrap or with aluminum foil and spread about a two-inch wide band of that stuff called Tanglefoot. And they can't walk across that. It's uh, nasty, sticky stuff, and it will stop them, but it won't eliminate the mound. And, of course, if you're dealing, they love to eat things like begonias and things where there's no practical way to put out the tangled foot. But if they're after your trees, uh, you can do that while you're dealing with trying to get rid of the mound itself. Okay. Well, I knew they made a fungus to eat on, and I didn't know if that fungicide would and get down in there and, and yep. take care of that? Or, well, that's that's that what the wet, sulfur, that? yeah, wettable sulfur, not just any sulfur, but wettable sulfur. It's usually called 50W. That is the one that will go through the soil, that will go down into the chamber, and will kill the fungus. Okay, and where do I find that? Any any hardware store, any nursery should have it. Okay, and second question, I have, um, I think it's called Viatrek. It's that... Um, Chicken manure fertilizer? Yeah, yeah, that new poultry litter fertilizer. Yes, sir. Does that need to be watered in, or is that just a natural that will break down? And It will break down. Um, it does not have to be watered in. It will not burn, but it doesn't really go to work until it gets watered. So if you're looking for, you know, fast results, water it in after you put it down. But if you get busy and don't have time to do that, uh, it's not going to burn or cause you any problems. It's just not going to start feeding quite as quickly. Okay. As it sits on top, um, does it lose the nitrogen, or does that stay? No, it ninety nine percent of it's going to be carried into the soil. Okay. And I think you were saying if I bought like a commercial fertilizer, like a thirteen, 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 I'm only getting like ten percent of that, twenty percent of that. Yeah, that's exactly and right. So that, Plus, you're killing out, you're burning organic material out of the soil, and you're destroying microbial life. So your Viatrek is a much better option for you. Okay, it's a lot more stable then. Okay. Yes, sir. Bob, thank you so much. Hey, it's a pleasure, Joy. Thank you for the call this morning. All right, it's going to be Ray, Robin, E.T., and Joe, and Ray's up first. Good morning, Ray. Morning, Bob. Morning, sir. How are you doing? I'm great. How about you? All right, I'm doing fine. Uh, my question is, uh, every time I eat a avocado, I throw the pit in, a, in the yard to see if it grows. Okay. And it just hit me. I should have put a marker on it because I I don't even know where I, I I don't remember where I put the pit in where I <laughs> dig the pit. Well, the thing about store-bought avocados is those avocados are not cold-hardy. Um, if you want to grow that calavo, that hoss, whatever kind of avocado you're getting at the store, you need to be growing it in an area where you can protect it in the winter because most winters it's going to freeze and die on you. If you want to have avocados growing in the yard, you need to look for one of these varieties that's a little bit more cold-hardy. But uh, if you want to try growing that that avocado and my gosh i eat plenty of avocados but you need to save the pit plant it in a 
pot or a container or something so that once it gets up to a you know foot or taller so you can put it out but put it out in a protected area put it out in a place that you can cover it on a cold night uh, because the avocados you get in your grocery store they're going to freeze and die here so they're not the best thing to be planting in the yard when you, when you say put it in the, in a jar with water do you put dirt in it also well, I wouldn't use water. If you want to, if you're trying to start a good plant, every kid in the world has put the toothpicks in it and put it in a jar of water. I would just take uh, like a one-gallon nursery can or a six-inch pot. i just fill it with potting soil, bury that uh, avocado pit so that just the top of it is just right at the surface of the soil. It'll sprout. It'll come up and grow for you just fine that way, and it'll do a whole lot better than trying to start them in water. Yes, because I've seen some uh, avocado uh, trees around here, and uh, I, I don't know, should I put it in the yard or try to grow it in the yard or grow it in a plant inside the house? Well, it's going to have to be outside, but uh, if you're seeing avocado trees that make it through the winter, they're probably the Mexican avocados. You rarely see those varieties in the grocery store, Mexicola, Joey, uh, there are a lot of different Mexican uh, avocado varieties. They're not quite as pretty. They're not quite as big as those California avocados, but they are much more cold hardy. And so that's probably what you're seeing in the neighborhood. If you want to grow one from one at the store, um, either, I mean, start it out in a pot and then, you know, as soon as it's up and growing, move it outside. But for keeping it long term, you're either going to need to put it in a big pot that you can drag inside or you're going to need to be able to cover it up if it gets real cold. Well, uh, it's been like uh, maybe three months since I threw a couple of avocado pits in, in, in the yard. Uh-huh. What am I looking What am I looking for when it's coming up? Well, it looks kind of like a pecan tree. It has a, oh, a leaf that's maybe four or five inches long, about two or three inches across. Uh, it'll just be on a little oh, kind of a, a stem about a little bit bigger than a toothpick, uh, maybe about the size of chopsticks. And uh, like I say, the leaves will look a lot like a pecan tree. Now, because it has to go through a maturing process, it's going to take about 10 years before it's fully mature and ready to produce avocados. But uh, the closest thing I can think of to compare the leaf shape to will be a pecan tree, and you certainly know what that looks like. Ten years, I'll be buried next to the pe- to the avocado. <laughs> <laughs> well, it'll be you'll be good fertilizer for your tree. But see, if you graft a tree, which most of these uh, Mexican varieties are grafted, that tree already matured. Somebody planted it fifteen or twenty years ago, and when you graft onto a tree, that wood is already mature and it can produce the first year. But when you grow something from a seed. An avocado is going to take 8 to 10 years before it reaches maturity, and it can't flower and produce fruit until it reaches maturity. So uh, I would suggest a couple of things. I'd tell you, number one, plan on living a little bit longer because you sound like a pretty healthy guy to me. And uh, if you want to grow avocados, go, go see a good nursery like Phoenix or somewhere. Get yourself a Mexican avocado tree that will take our, our cold weather here in San Antonio, and you probably have some avocados next year. Okay, well, thank you, Bob. I appreciate it, Ray. You have a great <laughs> Sunday, and let me get Robin in here. Good morning, Robin. Hey, good morning, Bob. How are you? I'm great, thank you. How about yourself? I'm doing real good. Um, hey, I'm out here in Kendall County in the town of Bergheim. 
I know um, Bergheim well. My partner lives near Bergheim. I'm west of Bernie, so I'm in Kendall County, but I'm the other direction from Bergheim. Oh, okay, okay. Well, I'm uh, my neighborhood is is right there at the intersection of uh, 46 and 3351 Barcroft Estates. Um, and, yes, sir. Okay. Uh, my question is, I have uh, a bunch of mountain laurels growing wild on my land. I've got about five acres yes, there, sir. and none of them bloomed this year. It probably was due to that uh, that freeze we had that happened when the trees were actually forming their buds. Uh, many of the, and you know, I've got hundreds of mountain laurels on my property, and very few of them bloom very well, but it was all weather. Um, wasn't anything you did or didn't do, but we had that early freeze at the time in the fall when the trees were just starting to form their buds. And uh, then we had that later freeze. It would have been when the flowers were trying to open. So uh, it's 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 weather more than anything else. There's certainly nothing wrong with your Mount Laurels. And nine years out of ten, I would expect them to bloom, at least the ones that are out in the sun. But this year, that early freeze nipped the buds. And uh, really, very few Mount Laurels in bloom around our part of the world. Now, here in San Antonio, we didn't get that cold. And so we had Mount Laurels everywhere, but from Bergheim to Bernie to Kendalia, um, we had too much cold. Most of the buds froze. What it means is that the trees are going to grow more than usual this year because they're not having to put their energy into making seed. But uh, I think I think you're just looking at what the weather did to us this time around. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, I, I've never seen mountain laurels not bloom like that I, I guess it is the weather but i work in san antonio and i i saw plenty of them blooming there but <laughs> yes I was, sir i was waiting for mine <laughs> well you know that that freeze and i can't remember if it was late october or early november but it hit following a fairly warm period and things that never freeze i mean they got nipped uh you know viburnum suspensum the sandanqua i've never seen cold damage on it unless it got below 15 degrees and it all had top two inches froze off on it asiatic jasmine cold hardy down to single digits it all had two or three inches frozen on the top it just the cold same came so suddenly uh, when things were still actively growing, and that's right yes. at the time when the mountain laurels are making their buds in the fall for spring bloom. So uh, it's not anything you fail to do. It's just one of those uh, Mother Nature just has to remind us who's in charge every now and then. <laughs> who's the boss? That's right. Um, I have one, one other question about applying the uh, liquid molasses. Yes, sir. Um is there a certain part of the day that's better than another to apply it? And when I do apply it, do I need to water it in real good? You can apply it any time of day. Um, <laughs> I jokingly always tell people it's easiest between 6 in the morning and 8 in the evening because you can see what you're doing. <laughs> but any time makes no difference. It will go to work faster if you are able to water it, but it will not burn if you don't. So if it's convenient, five acres is a lot to water, and um, Burcroft Estates <laughs> doesn't have a very high water table there. You're not as bad off as... Uh, uh, Waterstone, which is the most misnamed area in the whole world, but um, right. I, you know, I'm I'm not into watering acreage, so I'm just going to put it out and pray for rain. Yes, well, I was just going to do it just right around my house where I have a little bit yeah. of the grass. Well, if you've got water to do it, or especially if you're catching some rainwater, it'll go to work a lot faster if you can water it. But it's not going to cause any damage if you don't. Okay, good. I sure appreciate it. 
And you probably miss Stanley and uh, family as much as we do over there with the Bergheim store going away. But uh, Oh, yes. Yes, uh, We went to their uh, little retirement celebration, and just I'm glad we'll still get to see them around every now and then. But uh, you take care of everything up there. Let me move on here and talk to E.T. Good morning, E.T. Good morning, Bob. How are you today? It's a beautiful day, and I'm doing great. How about you? Oh, I'm still kicking. Good. So I got a, I got a question. I remember Bruce Dooley one time mentioned that the birdhouses, that I should empty them. So I did, and I put all the whatever was inside them in big old flower pots, and it's been sitting for about six months now. Can I maybe add a little dirt to our potting soil to it and grow things in the, in the pots? Oh, sure. Sure. That won't hurt a thing. <laughs> I guess that's your own Hugo culture. But, uh, yeah, it is it is good to clean out the birdhouses, and I guess that's a pretty good thing to do with the nests and all. And um, go check those houses now and be sure you don't have wasps getting their nests set up inside oh, I, there. No, I'm, yeah, me, I'm always at war with the wasps. So. Oh, well, another question. Yeah. I got a miniature rose bush, and uh, I got webbing on it, like spider mite webbing. Uh-huh. Oh, what can I use to, uh, for them? Liquid seaweed. If you okay. want to spray with a little dilute soap, that will take care of them right now. If you spray with liquid seaweed every couple of weeks, you'll keep them from coming back. How about pyrethrum? No, I don't use pyrethrins. They're too destructive to too many beneficial insects. Okay. And one last question, a plant ID. Uh, I got some, dug them up years and years ago, and it's uh, like it's a real big old fuzzy plant. you got big old fuzzy leaves, and they grow up at the very end, you know, at the end of the season. You know, it's got, got little yellow flowers at the top. I think yeah. it's some kind of succulent or something. It's called mullein, M-U-L-L-E-I-N, if you want to look it up. Yeah, because I can I pick the seeds. You know, I always got them constantly growing all over the place. <laughs> oh, they and, come you know, up they're, all... They're cool-looking leaves, you know, they're cool-looking leaves and, you know, cool-looking plants. So yep. I was just wondering what the name of them Well, was, the so. name of them is mullein, M-U-L-L-E-I-N, I believe is the spelling on that. All right, so you said that for the for the miniature rose bush, just uh, liquid soap or, or liquid know, or something like liquid that. Liquid soap, uh, just you know, uh, a teaspoon and a quart of water. That will kill the spider mites. But long term, start spraying those roses with liquid seaweed, and that'll keep the spider mites from coming back. Okay, Bob, I appreciate it very much. Thank you much. You're welcome, Et. Thank you. I say good morning, Joe. Good morning, Bob. Morning. I have a quick question. I, my wife passed away a couple of years ago, and we got uh, plants uh, for the funeral. Yes, and sir. And one in particular, we were real pretty. We kept it, and it has really grown. And my son wanted a cutting of it, but I'm not sure. Now, the thing is, uh, it's uh, kind of an elongated leaf. I don't know the name or what. Okay. But uh, it's it's growing to about uh, almost three feet long on one on some of them. The other one, there's a, about two or three different kinds in the plant. Okay. I got a real real long, real pretty green elongated leaves. It almost if you look at it like a single uh, a stem, it looks almost like a star. Like the leaves are four four or five five leaves on okay. the end. Okay. Uh, the one with the four or five leaves is probably some type of Schefflera, most likely a dwarf Schefflera. Uh, mm-hmm. You can take a cutting from that plant. The cutting should be about six inches long. You would take off two or three of those lower sets of leaves and uh, root them. Might want to wait till it warms up just a little bit more, uh, but you can get at a good nursery or hardware store and get something called perlite, P-E-R-L-I-T-E. And uh, it is uh, would be the medium that you would want to put that cutting down in to let it root. 
and uh, it should root in about six weeks. Now, the elongated green leaf, is it uh, kind of uh, spade-shaped? Is it uh, shaped like a spearhead, or is it just a long, fairly wide leaf? Uh, kind of spirit. Okay. And does is all, are all the leaves coming out from the base, or does it have a uh, stem about as thick as your little finger that the leaves are coming off of? Yeah, like a little finger that's about that, and they're all coming off, off, off that stem. Okay, that is probably a plant called the Chinese Evergreen, also a really good plant, really easy to propagate. Now, that one loves it warm. It starts shivering below about 60 degrees, so let it get a little bit warmer, and then you can take about a four-inch section off the top of it, strip off the lower leaves that are on there for about an inch or so, and you can also, or he can, root that in the perlite. In both of these cases where you've cut the top off, it's going to branch out and come out fuller and thicker and prettier than ever. But uh, if you want to look those two names up, uh, the dwarf Scheffler, S-C-H-E-F-F-L-E-R-A, is uh, the five-fingered one. The uh, uh, other one is uh, just Chinese evergreen is a common name. Proper name is Aglaonema. But uh, he can look those up and learn a little bit more about them. But both of them will root in perlite. Both of them you just want to let it warm up for maybe another month or so and then take your cuttings. And both of them will root in four to six weeks. Just cut the top off about four inches and peel off the, the bottom uh, right. and, uh, leaves. Yes, sir. Perlite. Okay, thanks, sir. Have a great day. Real helpful, sir. Thank well, you Well, so it's my pleasure, Joe. Sorry for your loss. I appreciate the call. Uh, let's go ahead and talk to Mac. Good morning, Mac. Good morning, Mr. Bob. How are you, sir? I'm doing fine. Every, every time I call you, it helps solve up a, another question or mystery. <laughs> well, what's today's topic? Well, today's topic is a mystery. And that is, here a couple of weeks ago, I heard you talking about uh, periwinkles or vincas. Right. And that reminded me of a question I had that's a mystery. Okay. My mother, my mother a long time ago had some periwinkles in a bed that a neighbor had given her some seed. Mm-hmm. These periwinkles were white, blue, and red. And they were uh, very hardy. They uh, were very uh, drought-resistant. And when they did get hot and dry, you could water them and practically just see them straighten up before your eyes. And they reseeded themselves. Right. Through the years, they gradually died out. And I have had an impossible time finding uh, anything that seems to be uh, similar I've found hanging pot plants that have what they call Mediterranean vincas, which are, uh, I'd call a, a trailing vinca, mm-hmm. but they don't reseed. Yep. And I have looked in uh, seed displays, and I cannot find periwinkles uh, for like a seed bed for a, a okay. border or anything. Yep. And it's really strange to me, and I was wondering if you had any thoughts on that. Well, the old-fashioned one, what your seedsman will call actually a Madagascar periwinkle um, or vinca. The problem with calling it vinca is that sometimes people confuse that with a uh, perennial vine, uh, which is properly called vinca major or vinca minor. But what you're talking about is the... uh, 
Cataranthus is its botanical name. And the old-fashioned varieties did grow from seed. They did uh, come up, you know, reseed themselves pretty well. All of a sudden, everybody wanted fancier colors. They wanted bigger flowers. They wanted a wider range of colors. So we've gone through a series of new hybrids, uh, the first of which were pretty disease-susceptible. Then a couple of years ago, they came out with some called Cora, which were more disease-resistant. Now there's a new variety called Tattoo that's just beautiful. But all of these newer varieties uh, either don't make seed or the seed don't reliably come up and grow very well. What you're going to need to do is go to a company that offers older seed or heirloom seed. Uh, I would try uh, one company, and you just have to Google these and and find out which one might have it, but try Baker, B-A-K-E-R, Baker Creek Seed. Uh, Try a company called Seed Savers Exchange. And um, those are two of the heirloom seed companies, but you'll probably find others if you just Google heirloom seed. But what you want are, in effect, just the old-fashioned periwinkle, the the old-fashioned cataranthus, uh, again, is its botanical name. And those are the varieties that would come back year after year from seed. Just nobody in the nursery industry carries those plants. Um, I deal with you don't know, I want to know how many different plant growers we do business with on a on a weekly basis at least, and nobody grows that old-fashioned periwinkle. But I'll bet you could start with David Seed right here in San Antonio. David Seed handles a lot of heirloom seed. Uh, they actually have a store in northwest San Antonio, but 95% of what they sell is uh, over the Internet, and they will mail it to you at no charge. But try David's Seed, then try Baker Creek Seed, then try Seed Savers Exchange, and you're just looking for the old-fashioned flowering periwinkle. It's out there. I wish I could tell you where to find it. it just You're only going to find three colors. You're going to find pure white. You're going to find white with a rosy center. And then you're going to find a lavender-colored one. Those are those are the only three I've ever seen in that old-fashioned variety. But they're they're out there. It's just a matter of finding the seed. And if the weather cooperates, they will reseed and come back. I'd always hold a little bit of seed back, or I'd always keep your seed supply open because every now and then we get a year like this one where it stays so cool and we have some moisture, and so many of these little seedlings just don't make it. But uh, but look for it. I'm sure it's out there. I think you'll find it, and I think you'll do very well with it, Mac. Well, in fact, I heard you mention you mentioned a Madagascar right. periwinkle. Yeah. Was that the old-fashioned? Yeah. Yeah, that's the old-fashioned one. Uh huh. Okay. Well, my next question. This next question is, where I live, along the creeks, there are these uh, cedar elm trees. Yes, sir. And I've always been curious about, I've seen cedar elms that that make pretty uh, trees uh-huh. along the creeks, but I, for the life of me, have never, that I know, have seen one in a yard. And I wondered how cedar elms were if you got one young enough to transplant or uh, to propagate them. That that was what I was curious about and how they did. Okay, if it is a true cedar elm, um, it is an excellent tree for the uh, hill country area. It's one of my favorite trees. Uh, they'll grow 50, 60 feet tall. Um, and, and they're very, very satisfactory tree. There are quite a number of different elms, of course, but, uh, the cedar elm is, is a very good tree. Well, uh, 
how would you go? Could you transplant one or? Uh, if you're in an area with deep soil, yes, you can transplant them very successfully. If you're in very shallow, rocky soil, uh, it's hard to get enough of the roots to transplant well. But if you're down on a creek bed where you have deep soil, you can certainly get a transplantable size. Um, uh, check your local, local nurseries. That is, um, that's one of the trees that is, uh, is frequently offered, and uh, they're a very good tree. Well, uh, on... The other tree I had a question on, uh, on the uh, oaks, Mm -hmm. I heard you mention there was a Monterey oak. A Monterey oak. Yeah, Monterey oak. They also call it Mexican live oak. It's a whole different tree than our native live oak. It is indeed, it is a true oak. It's Quercus uh, polymorph is its botanical name, but it's in what we call the white oak group. But the good news about that is it's rarely ever bothered by oak wilt disease. And um, it's a great tree, a little faster growing than our native live oaks and much more disease resistant. And didn't you mention too a red oak? There are several different red oaks out there. Unfortunately, they are all susceptible to oak wilt, so I'm not, most of the hill country, I'm not going to recommend them. But there's also a tree called a burr oak, B-U-R. There's an oak that grows all over my ranch in the deeper soil areas called Lacey, L-A-C-E-Y, named for an old German naturalist. There's Lacey's oak. Uh, There's the chinkapin oak. Those are all in the white oak group that don't have the oak wilt issues. Well, I sure do appreciate it, and well, like I've always said, gardening is uh, and any kind of farming is just one big experiment. So I appreciate <laughs> it, Thank and uh, I totally agree. You have a great Sunday. All right, well, let's get right back to these phone lines and talk to Roy. Good morning, Roy. Hi. Good morning. I'm speaking for Roy. <laughs> I just to see. <laughs> I'm sorry. Don't uh, be sorry. I just I'm just as happy talking to you. Okay, great. So I have, we did a permaculture, or actually a halteculture, what they're calling, uh-huh. uh, berm okay. out of our twigs and, and branches that we took off from some trees and everything in our yard. Uh-huh. So we we piled up that, uh, all those branches, and then we, we threw some uh, compost up on top of it. So now, uh, what is the best way to break it down faster and to possibly do some worms in there and maybe do a garden eventually? Well, of course, moisture is a very important part of that. Um, Woody materials are more broken down by fungi than they are by bacteria. So what we would do in, you know, a bacterial situation, we'll be adding more molasses and things like that to speed the process up. But it's basically uh, adding the compost is going to bring in a lot of the beneficial fungi that will break down your woodier, high-carbon materials. But the main thing you need right now is moisture and patience. Awesome. And, And do you think, how long do you think for it to break down a year or two at least? How big are the biggest limbs that you've buried? Well, it's probably five inch diameter on the bottom. And what kind of trees were these cut from? Uh, most of them were cedar. Most oh. of them were cedar. Okay, by cedar you mean our uh, our ash juniper? Um, well, the cedar up in the hill country. Okay, in, yeah. In the north, New Braunfels. Yeah, most of that will be broken down in 20 years. 
Okay, awesome. Okay. I mean, awesome. if you if you told me they were hackberries, if you told me they were red oaks, I'd tell you it'd be broken down in uh, probably three years. Mother Nature is patient. Mother Nature does not rush things like I want to and like uh, Mrs. Roy and Roy want to. And cedars, I mean, the reason that people have been using those uh, cedar things for fence post i mean my home that i live in is sitting on cedar pilings and my home's been there for 110 years so it does not break down quickly it doesn't steal as many nutrients from the soil as, as other things do when it breaks down but uh it's going to be a long time before that cedar is you know totally gone away it doesn't mean that you can't plant in it you're going to have to add some extra fertilizer and that pile is going to gradually sink down a little bit as it decays now smaller limbs yeah they're going to break down in you know three or four years but those a five inch cedar log if you stuck it upright in the ground, it'd probably take a hundred years to break down. With the Hugo culture covering it up with things, it most of it will be broken down in fifteen or twenty years. Awesome. So, so you think that if I do like a like throw some soil on top of it, like maybe some good good garden soil, uh-huh. and then maybe some worms, it'll help it break down. Or not? well, the worms aren't the worms are going to tend to make things go better and grow more quickly but worms don't have the ability to chew up a woody material uh the only things that are going to break that down are your fungi which are going to slowly help it to decompose and rot and you're going to start seeing all sorts of uh, toadstools uh, things like that growing up out of the top that's perfectly normal those are the fruiting bodies of the fungus that's working down to break down those logs but uh um there's you're not going to speed this up into a real great basis your your kids are going to benefit from it more than you are okay but at least it's not your grandkids (laughs) (laughs) well thank you for all your information well it's my it's my pleasure i wish i could be more encouraging and like i say you just have to look at the type of wood and if it's a wood that people use for building and building fences and things like the what we call cedar hill country ash juniper uh, people use it because it's so slow to break down and that's great if you've got a fence and not so good if you're trying to make it break down so be patient but uh don't expect too much from it it's just all it needs is time well, also, well we did it also for privacy so that's sure. good you know stuff for you know for water you know oh yeah yeah i build i build what they call exclosures i build six eight foot high um piles of cedar to keep the deer and cattle out of some areas so it will very definitely do some do some good there as well so keep up the good work call anytime i can help you and let me get tom in here before the end of the show good morning tom Good morning. Morning. Uh, we live out in a country, and we've got feral cats, and my wife has been trapping the feral cats and taking them in and having them neutered. Okay. And all of a sudden, we're going through a lot of food. I put out a game camera. She's also feeding a fox, uh, uh, possums, and a huge raccoon. <laughs> Is there anything I can put in those live traps that would bring in the the raccoon and the, the possum that wouldn't be... Uh, attractive to the cats probably grain of any sort you can go to a feed store and i've trapped many raccoon with uh, milo 
Um, okay. Bird seed, you can buy a smaller, I mean, smallest bag of Milo I can find is usually 40 pounds, but uh, you can get bird seed, and that will work fairly well with raccoons and with possums, and your cats are not going to be uh, as likely to be attracted to those. Uh, the other thing um, that works very well for me, I feed my cattle protein cubes, and um, um, those are very, very good for catching raccoons. Okay. Next question is, I, uh, a year before last, I planted a, a peach tree, and it was doing quite well. It's about four foot high. Okay. And today, it's re- uh, now it's recovering from the winter, and it's just covered with blossoms, uh-huh. but not one leaf. Am I doing something wrong? Well, check the base of the tree. Be sure the root flare is exposed. But uh, it's probably one of the higher chill varieties that uh, did not bloom as early as some others. I don't think you're doing anything wrong. I think it will leaf out. But I'd sure check the base of that tree and be sure the root flare is not buried. Okay. And the last question is I've got uh, uh, pomegranate. Mm -hmm. And it's got beautiful blossoms on it. Yeah. And then they fall off. Okay. You probably... uh, Again, am I doing something wrong, or is there something I should do to help the plant? You probably got the wrong pomegranate, because about 80% of the pomegranates, maybe even 90% of the ones that are sold, are what are called ornamental pomegranates that are grown for their flowers, and you only get two or three pomegranates a year. If you're looking for... Uh, the actual edible pomegranates, you just need to be sure you're buying the right variety. The old-fashioned one that people have grown forever is one called Wonderful, which is a pretty easy name, name to remember. But I fear that if you've had that many flowers and no fruit, that you probably wound up with an ornamental variety. What they do in breeding those things is breed them to have more flowers but and bigger flowers, but in doing so, they breed out the reproductive part of the flower. They breed out the stamens and the pistil, so you get nice big flowers, but you almost never get any fruit from them. So I don't think it's anything you're failing to do. I think it's probably just a variety that's grown for flowers only. Oh, bummer. Yep. Well, well, you can go get a wonderful flower, today. My hummingbirds just love it. Absolutely. Beautiful orange, and they have nice, pretty yellow leaves in the fall. But if you uh, if you want the fruit, go visit a good nursery and tell them you want a variety called Wonderful. And as long as they've got them named properly, you'll start having uh, pomegranates probably by the first or second year. So 